Well, we're going to pray together and then we'll get into our Bible. So let's do that. Father in heaven, it is really a good thing to be here today. Just to be in your house. To sing songs of praise and worship. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity. Grateful that you give us the gift of the church where we can come together and do that. Grateful, Father, that you give us the gift of the church where we can come together and open our Bibles with one another and study your word and learn from it. Grateful, Lord, that you give us the gift of the church so we can come together and share our hearts and have our needs met. Father, we are also grateful for your spirit, the fact that you have given him to us that we might study deeply, that we might fellowship deeply, that we might... Father, have our needs met deeply. Grateful, Lord, that you gave us your Son, that we might be forgiven. Please don't ever let us lose sight of that. I'm grateful, Father, that you have given us yourself, that we might see the vastness that you have created around us. Open our eyes so that we can. And then, Father, I pray that you will open the eyes of our heart, that we might see even deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. This past February, my wife and I had the opportunity to scratch something off of our list. Everybody has a list like that. We call it the bucket list, but really it's just a list of things that we want to do before this life is over. Tina and I have had something on ours, our corporate list, for a long time. And we've had opportunity to put a mark through it, but we have never taken that chance. But this last February, we did. Thanks to the graciousness of some folks in this congregation, we were allowed to spend a few days in Hawaii in February. We went to the Big Island. It was during whale watching season. We've always wanted to go on a whale watching excursion. This time we decided we would do it. So we spent a little over 200 bucks and got ourselves signed up, went out on the boat, and for two hours we watched whale after whale breaching near us. We didn't think it would get any better than that. It was just cool to see their tails come up out of the water, see their backs come up out of the water. We were thrilled, but then it got better. One full-grown humpback whale, 40 yards off the side of our boat, jumped out of the water, cleared the entire body out of the water, and laid over with a huge splash. It was remarkable. The guides that we were with said that hardly ever happens, and particularly as close to us as that one was, just 40 yards off the boat. They had dropped a microphone down into the water, and we got to listen to the amplification of the whales around us, and that was spectacular. By the time we got back to the dock, we were convinced that whale watching couldn't get any better, but it did. You see, for most of the week that we were there, there were high surf warnings. The ocean was raging out of control, so they had shut the beaches down, And we weren't able to go swimming, but the last two days, everything changed. The water calmed down, the wind calmed down, and they opened the beaches back up. So we got in the water. I am a lot more confident in the water than my wife is, so she likes to go out about waist high and stay right there. She likes solid ground under her feet. The waves crashing around her, she can really enjoy that, and so can I, but I like to go a little bit deeper, and on this particular day, I said, if you're okay, I'm going to swim on out a ways. I want to get past the breakers and just enjoy some time out there, and she said, go. She didn't have any problem with that, so I left her standing there waist high in the water, and I headed out across the, the big waves and was just having a blast, just having a blast, and then all of a sudden, this lady 
pops up out of a wave right next to me. Just pop. There she was. I didn't see her coming. I didn't know she was out there. I had never seen any side of her. So where I was at, I had the ocean to myself until all of a sudden, pop, there she was. So my first thought was, well, by golly, mermaids exist. I didn't know this. Without any introductions or even effort at small talk, this is exactly what she said to me. She said, did you hear them? Did you hear them? Now, I've been in ministry a long time, and I've had people say to me before, can you hear the voices? That's never a good thing. So I'm thinking we are in the the realm of the supernatural right now. She's hearing voices, and and we're going to tread water out here and talk about the voices that she's hearing. And I thought, oh, my word, I'm on vacation, really? So I decided to go ahead and, and bite. I said, hear who? Fully expecting her to tell me about the voices in her head. She said, did you hear the whales? And I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, there's two whales about a mile, mile and a half offshore. I saw them from the balcony of my house, and I came out here to listen to them sing. Did you hear them? And I said, I... I don't hear anything. She said, well, you have to swim down to the bottom and lay on the sand, and if you'll do that, then you can hear them singing back and forth with one another. And I said, really? We, we need to do that. We were in 15, 18 feet of water, and so together we swam down and just laid on the bottom of the ocean and listened to the whales sing back and forth. It was stunning, absolutely stunning. For 15, 20 minutes, we would go back up to the surface catch a breath, and then go back down and lay on the bottom of the ocean and listen to the whales sing. I don't know if they got tired of it. I don't know if they drifted further out to sea or what happened, but they stopped singing. We swam back into shore. We'd gotten caught, actually, in a riptide, and we'd been sucked out a ways and swam back into the shore, and Tina was there, and I said, Honey, the whales are singing. You you have to do this. She said, I'll take your word for it. I'm staying right here. (laughs) And she did. It left a pretty sizable impression, not only in my mind and in my ears, but on my heart. In the hours after listening to the whale sing, I was thinking of a presentation that Louis Giglio made several years ago where he presented the stars singing and whales singing. And he put those together, stars and whales, and laid over the top of it the song, How Great Is Our God. And he put it together in such a way that you could actually hear the stars and sea creatures singing praises before the Lord. That's exactly what was going through my mind. I just listened to whales praising God. What an experience. I grabbed my Bible, which happened to be out on the beach, and turned to the 148th Psalm, which is the psalm that Giglio based his presentation off of, and I just started reading again. You don't have to turn with me. Just listen to these words. This is found in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Now listen. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. There it is laid out by the psalmist. The stars sing, the sun sings, the moon sings, praises before God. The sea creatures, those that live in the deep, sing praises before God. The trees and the hills and the mountains bring praises before God. They were designed to do that. Not only were they designed, all of creation designed together to bring praises before God, but they were designed to direct us to the things of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says it just like this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. All mankind is without excuse when it comes to praising the Lord and giving credit to God for all that he has done because creation itself directs us to the Lord so that, the Bible says, all men, all men, all men are without excuse. We all have an obligation to bring praises before the Lord because of what he has done, and all creation directs us there. Deeper than that, though, the Bible would teach that if we will not sing, if we will not praise, creation will stand in the gap for us. This is found in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. It's found during the story of the transfiguration, just days before Jesus will die. As he was going into Jerusalem, going down the Mount of Olives, some pretty amazing things happened, including some deep teaching. Listen to this from Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, This is good. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If we won't praise if we will not give credit to God, God has designed creation in such a way that the rocks will cry out. The trees will give God credit for who he is and what he has done. If we refuse to open our mouths in worship, creation will fill that void because God will receive praise for who he is and what he's done. It's his design Yet he gives us these wonderful moments where we can stop and recognize who he is and what he has done for us. Moments that may be designed solely for us so that we can stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
for all that you have created. Thank you, God, for the beauty that surrounds us. Thank you, God, for all that you have done for me. Thank you, God, for being God. Yet I want you to stop with me for just a minute and ask yourself this question. How often do you do that? How often do you stop and give credit to the Lord? How often do you just stop and praise Him? How often do you take a moment out of your busy life to do nothing but give credit to the Lord? I would venture, yes, not nearly as often as you should. I like the way Paul Hawkins says this. Take a look. Ralph Waldo Emerson once asked what we would do if the stars only came out once every thousand years. No one would sleep that night. Of course, we would be ecstatic, delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God. Instead, the stars come out every night and we watch television. It's pretty true. Last night, with that quote in mind, about 10.15, 10.30, I decided to step outside with the dog. Instead of just letting her out in the backyard, we went out in the front yard together. And I stopped to look at the stars. This beautiful gift that God has given us, and it's there every night, every night, for us to stop and appreciate. And in this private moment of worship, just me, my dog, and God, we looked into the heavens. And then the coolest thing happened. In the middle of my own little worship service, my dog started to participate too, only this is what she did. She started growling. And then she started barking. And I started paying attention. So she was turned around. Now you have to understand, my dog is an amazing hunter, but outside of hunting, she is very timid. She is very timid. So she turned around, hackles up, barking at our backyard, quickly moving behind me. But boy, she was tough. She's barking and barking and barking. So I stepped inside and I grabbed a flashlight, went around to the corner of the house, shined the light back into where we have some apple trees, and there was a huge bear standing there. Huge bear, gorging himself on the few apples that are on our tree this year, loving every minute of it. My wife loves bears, and so I was quick to grab my phone. She's in Kansas right now and send her a text to say, are bears here? <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> so I have the light shined on this bear, and I'm enjoying this moment that God gave just to me and my dog. It was just the two of us. Eli is here from Haver, and so I went in and told him about the bear, and he came out, and, and we enjoyed that together. But I would have never seen it had I not stepped out to look at the stars with the dog. Now, that is proof positive that if you want to truly worship the Lord, you need a dog. <laughs> and if you want it to be really godly, it needs to be a lab. And if you want it to be totally righteous, a black one. That's the way it works. So I'm outside with my dog having this opportunity to praise God. But how often do we stop and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done? Just like Paul Hawkins says, we don't. We stay inside. We watch television. We drive through life too busy to stop and reflect. So I decided to do a little bit of research this past week, trying to answer my own question. That means I pulled up Facebook. This is Facebook research. Here's what I was doing. I spent a good amount of time scrolling my homepage to see how many times people actually stopped to acknowledge what the Lord had done for them, to acknowledge the things that they were seeing and give credit to God. I found one spot where a lady had taken a picture of a bear on the side of a cliff, and she was crediting God with that gift. There was another time where a bighorn ram was right in front of another lady, and she stopped to give credit to the Lord. There were sunsets and a few sunrises that received the same thing. People were talking about how God had painted this beautiful canvas, and they got to enjoy it. 
There were puppies and there were people, just a few of those, where people said thank you to God for what he had done. But out of all of the hundreds of people that I scrolled, it was a handful of people that were giving credit to the Lord. A great number more were talking about their struggles and their wounds in life, expressing them on Facebook in raw terminology because you can do that when there's nobody there to bridle your tongue, so they were just saying whatever they wanted to say, talking about the wounds of life, talking about how difficult things were, and in too many of those situations, talking about the people that had inflicted those wounds. They weren't stopping to give credit to the Lord for the fact that they were surviving, that they had made it through to this point. They were just stuck looking at their own struggles. That happens for many of us, where we get so caught up in the struggles of life that we can't see anything else around us, including God. All we can see are the things that we're dealing with, the painful things. And then eventually we open our eyes to see the people that have brought that pain until it clouds us so much that we can't even see God when the Lord places all kinds of beautiful things around us, beautiful, incredible things that he wants us to see and give him credit for. And if we don't, the Bible says the stones will, the trees will, the mountains will, the hills will, the whales will. Creation will praise God if we refuse to. What I have learned through the years is that for many people when they are stuck in those types of struggles and when they are dealing with that type of pain, what they need more than anything else is a Yahweh moment. Let that sink in for just a second. A Yahweh moment. Now I'll show you where that idea comes from. It's found in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Take your Bibles and and turn there with me, would you? Exodus chapter 3. Moses was born a slave. He became a prince. After 40 years, he ended up a shepherd. That's not the way you want to climb the corporate ladder. It really isn't. So he started here, he went to here, and he's back to here. For 40 years after that, he was scratching around in the dirt in the desert. Things weren't good. You can imagine that he had regrets. You can imagine that he had questions. You can imagine at some point in those 40 years, Moses saying, God, why, why me? Why am I out here? I belong in a palace. I don't belong out here. Why am I here? And then he had a Yahweh moment. God had a new purpose for him, a new plan for his life, and he revealed it to him. And this is what it sounded like afterwards. Moses was saying, Lord, you want me to go to the Hebrew people and tell them that they're about to be delivered? How am I supposed to do that? You want me to go to Pharaoh and tell him that he's supposed to release his slaves? How am I supposed to do that? Who am I? And this is what God does for him. Verse 14 of chapter 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That's a Yahweh moment. Now, if you want to see exactly what that looks like, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. This is how Yahweh is spelled by the Hebrew people. There are no vowels in the word. Now, we pronounce it Yahweh. It looks just like this in the English language. It is the divine name of God. Part of the reason there are no vowels in the Hebrew language in that name is because the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the Jews, refuse to even utter the name of God. 
It is that holy. So they take the vowels out and they have determined that they will not even say the name of the Lord because it's too holy to touch their lips. But Yahweh moments happen all the time and we have to give him credit for those moments. There are other times that we see it, and in fact, in Exodus chapter 3, it shows up to give us a pattern of what is to come. Every time you see the word Lord in the Bible, Old Testament or New, written in all caps, just like this, that is a Yahweh distinguishment. That is God saying, I am. Yahweh, the very name Yahweh means, I am. I am who I am. That's God saying, if you are trying to describe me, here's the best way you can do it. I am. There is no other. I am the creator of all that there is. I am the sustainer of all that there is. I am the only God there is. I am who I am. Yahweh moment. Now, when you find this word in different places in the Bible, that is a Yahweh distinguishment, an I am distinguishment. Now, you'll see the word Lord spelled other ways, sometimes with a capital letter talking about God, sometimes with a lowercase l and all of the other letters lowercase as well. That's the use of the word Lord. But when you find it in all caps at any place in your Bible, you stop and pay attention because that's God saying, I am. I am. That's a Yahweh moment. And we find those at different times in our life, divine moments with God where he shows us himself. I've had them. So have you. Just this past week, I had a Yahweh moment. I don't have to go back even to the whales. I had a Yahweh moment this past week while we were hunting. Now, I've already told you it's my favorite week of the year. I look forward to it for 12 months. Part of what I look forward to is the gathering of the people that I hunt with, and that's just a blast. I look forward to watching the dogs. I look forward to the camping experience. I look forward to all of it, but I really look forward to the shooting. And it, it traditionally has been a lot. Usually when we go over there, we will shoot somewhere between 60 and 100 sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge. It is a, a shooting gallery, just a blast. This year, four. Four. The first day, we walked 11 and a half miles. The second day, we walked a little over nine miles. The third day, we were supposed to be there five days. The third day, we walked three and a half miles. It would not be until right in the middle of those three and a half miles that we actually had an honest-to-goodness covey rise right in front of us of sharp tails. We were somewhere around 20 miles before we got to see what we had come to see, the birds rising right in front of us. Now, you have to know this about me. I love that. I love that. Watching the birds come up out of the grass with the dogs right behind them, I oh. I can lay in bed at night and just picture that. For other people in Libby, Montana, it's hearing an elk bugle. For other people, it's seeing a big muley run in front of you or an antelope buck, whatever the case might be. For me, it is a covey rise out of the grass. So when they came out of the grass at that particular point, they weren't even in front of me. I was quite a ways away. I was watching some other people that had their dogs coming in on them. My dog was near it, but not in it. As they got the birds up, they shot. It was perfect, dropped a couple of them. Everything worked out exactly as it should have. I started turning circles along with my dog. It's like, look, there they are. We have hiked 20 miles and finally we found them. But I found myself thinking, God sent those birds for me because I needed them. Yahweh moment. It's carried me all week long, and it will carry me for the next 12 months when I'm looking forward to that hunt again. One covey rise, and I'll go back next year. 
hopefully seeing more than that, but one covey rise, Yahweh moment. You've had them too. You have experienced those when you have been out in all that God has created, and God says, here I am. But the question is, did you stop? If we hadn't have been among the cactus, I think I would have untied my boots and kicked them off to the side and stood there barefoot. It was holy ground. That's what God told Moses to do when he came across them. He said, Moses, you take off your sandals, not across the birds, but across the burning bush. You take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing on is holy. And when we have Yahweh moments, that's exactly what is supposed to happen. You take off your shoes. It's holy. You're in the presence of God. And he just revealed himself to you. Now the truth is, most of us could spend our life barefoot because we are surrounded by the presence of the Lord all the time. And if we will open our eyes, we will see him all the time. And it's holy in its own right. But it's our job to acknowledge that. Now here's the rub of all of this. Even as creation speaks of who God is, even as the created brings praises before the Lord, that is only the outskirts of God's ways. Creation is only the outskirts of God's ways. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of Job. In Job 38 through 41, God does an amazing job of describing creation to Job. It is one of the best places in all of the Bible for you to discover the depth of creation, how God orders everything, from hail when it falls to the wind when it blows to the calving of does, he says, to how whales do what whales do, all the way through in those three chapters, Job 38 through 41, God says, I am, I'm the one who did this. He starts out when Job is at one of the lowest points in his life, and Job is starting to question whether God is even seeing him. God would say to Job, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And then he goes into this discourse, wonderful discourse, with Job saying, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Were you there when this happened or that happened? And on and on and on and on. But earlier in chapter 26, verse 14, this is what we read. Behold, speaking of creation, these are the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? When all we do is set our sights on the created, when all we do is set our sights on creation, then we are choosing to live in the outskirts of God's ways. There is something much deeper. There is something much greater that he has in store for us. When we choose to say that I can see God all around me and that's all I need, we are making a decided choice to stay in the shadows, in the outskirts. So in Job chapter 26, verse 14, we read this. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? The answer to that question is this. Those that have been touched by Jesus can understand because they have had the eyes of their heart opened. Now to find out that there are eyes in your heart can be as shocking to some people as knowing that rocks sing praises to God or finding out that trees sing praises to God. But the truth of the matter is there are eyes in your heart, not just in your head. 
most people spend their life looking around with the eyes in their head. But the Bible teaches that when we open the eyes of our heart, we will see something much deeper about God than just the outskirts, than just the created. We will discover the nature of God and the love of God, the thunder of God. Now, I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe the Bible. So let's go together to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes these words. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that can be pretty difficult to understand, and that goes back to Job's question. Who can understand it? Well, the simple answer is those who have had the eyes of their heart opened. And if the eyes of your heart have been opened, then here's what happens. Phil's paraphrase of Ephesians 1, the verses that we just read. When the eyes of our heart are opened, we gain a spirit of wisdom and revelation that leads to a special knowledge. That knowledge leads to hope and a glorious inheritance tied together in God's great power and might, both of which come through Jesus the Son. Now that's my paraphrase of of that passage, but here's what it means. When the eyes of your heart are opened, you will see things beyond the shadows beyond the outskirts of all that God has created, you will see the depth of it. And when you see the depth of God's creation, you will see you. You will see other people. And you will see the way God loves you and the way God loves other people. That's the thunder of God. That's the thunder of his ways. He loved you enough and me enough that he was willing to send his son to die for us, that we might have relationship with him. That's the thunder of God's ways. When we see God, we see the vastness of creation. When we see the Son, we see the vastness of his love, but it becomes very small. And the the vastness of God's love, when it is shrunk down to the smallest possible form, will allow us to see him loving us through his Son. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we move out of the outskirts, out of the shadows, so that we can truly see. Now, as we get ready to close this out, I want to take you into some deep theology, so you just hang on. Here we go. When you see Jesus, you will see God. When you see Jesus and experience him, you will experience a Yahweh moment. Here's why I say that. All through the New Testament, there are Yahweh declarations from Jesus. I am statements from Jesus. Remember, Yahweh means I am. So these are I am statements. 
Take a look at a list of them. Here they are. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the one speaking to you. I am the Alpha and Omega who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. I am the first and the last. I am the resurrection and the life. Yahweh's statements. And when we discover the depth and the truth of each one of those, and we see God taking care of us through each one of these declarations, we will discover Yahweh moments over and over and over again. And what is the right response to a Yahweh moment? It is to recognize that we are in the divine holiness of God and thank Him and praise Him for what He has done for us. That boils down all the way to salvation, Yahweh moment. God would say, I am the one who came to seek and to save the lost. That's you, and that's me. And without Jesus, that's who we are. We are the lost, but we are found in him. And what's the right response? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving me, for restoring me, for sustaining me. Kick off your sandals. In my situation, kick off your boots. You are standing on holy ground, and it's a Yahweh moment. It starts in understanding creation, getting down to the created, that we might eventually understand the creator that loved us, enough to die for us. That there are a lot of people who make that choice to stay in the outskirts, the borderlands, the shadows of God's glory. I want to talk about those folks just a minute. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you know people just like this. They're the folks who will make statements along these lines. I don't need to go to church. The woods are my church. I don't need to to go to church because I worship God when I'm fishing. I don't need to go to church because we have the mountains around us. I don't need any more from God because I have this. Well, what they have are the outskirts. When you invite them into a relationship with Jesus, you're bringing them in from the shadows and saying, let me show you the depth of God's love, the thunder of God's love. But until you are stopping and acknowledging it on a regular basis yourself, it's going to be very hard for you to show anybody else what it looks like. So you have to show people. And in order to show people, you have to know it. Here's my challenge to you. I want you to find the Lord seven times this week. He's all around you, just once a day. Seven times this week, you find God. It may start with the stars or a bear. It may start with a sheep or a goat. It may start with fawns running in your backyard. That's all right. That's a Yahweh moment. You look at what God has done for you. That's a holy moment. Look at how God provided that just for you. But hopefully by the end of those seven days, you will find the true thunder of God, which is his son. Now here's my encouragement to you. When you come across one of those Yahweh moments, email it to me. Tell me about it. Tell the story. Philosbaugh at LibbyChristianChurch.com. Just send me the email and tell me how God has revealed himself to you. And if you send me seven this week, that'll be cool. If you send me 70 this week, that'll be cool. And here's what sending that on to somebody else does for you. It causes you to verbalize it, to allow God's glory and the thunder of God to come off your lips. Try it. And if you really want to be bold, when those moments come, take off your shoes Stand on holy ground and talk to the Lord about it.